Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Two Feet Apart. I'm so excited for today's guest. We have Nicole Artst. Um, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So thank you for joining us, Nicole. Yeah. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So as you said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I practice out of Southern California. Um, I have worked with a variety of individuals, uh, groups, families, and couples with issues related to trauma, substance use disorders, eating disorders, uh, family dynamics. I am also a mental health writer and author. I just released my first book, uh, Sometimes Therapy is Awkward, which is a guidebook essentially for mental health professionals navigating the nuances of working in this career. Um, and I also run an Instagram page, Psychotherapy Memes, which has gained some significant traction in, in the past year, which basically is a page that kind of celebrates the dark humor and fun parts of what it means to be a therapist. Amazing. I found you through the Instagram page about a year or so ago. And it's so funny because I'll screenshot it and actually send it to my therapist and be oh, like, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and so I was even looking at, I'm like, I know her birthday is coming up. I think it's in like May or something. So then I was like, I could get her your book. And like, but then <laughs> I'm like, I'm tempted to get myself the book too. I feel like it would be applicable to so many people. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had quite a few people reach out and tell me, hey, I'm not a therapist, but I follow your page and I read your book and it was helpful for me to learn a little bit more how the therapy process works because mm -hmm. quite a few people who are who are clients in therapy um, are just really interested in the process. I know I definitely was before I became a therapist. I was, I was a client long before I was a therapist and I, I wanted to know more about who this therapist was, what their training was, what they did with other clients. Um, and I, I think it's good to, to kind of demystify what, what therapists do. I think that's helpful for everyone to know. It kind of destigmatizes mental health and kind of ideally promotes greater awareness of, of what we do with our clients. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a book like that would also be great for people that are trying to focus on their active listening and things like that, because then I'm sure it's full of like helpful little tidbits um, and references and things to like keep in mind, because even if you're not working in that field and you're trying to consciously be aware of that when you're talking to other people, I feel like that would be such a good resource to help those people as well. Yeah, I I like that you brought that up. It's not really something I consciously thought about, but now that I'm kind of reflecting on some of the, the main points in the book, they definitely can be applicable to just an average person who wants to become a little more self-aware um, because a lot of it's talking about boundaries, talking about dealing with self-care, how to navigate working in a toxic environment, which doesn't just apply to mental health. Mm -hmm. Dealing with imposter syndrome, which again, not just immune to the mental health profession. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily, I, I wouldn't in good conscience feel right advertising it to just an average person looking for, you know, some self-help tips. But yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of, it, it could be applicable to, to people who are wanting to learn a little bit more about themselves and how to work on some of those more challenging issues that you typically maybe go to therapy for. 
Mm-hmm. And I know, I know the answer to this because I follow you on that Instagram page. And I, when you do your question and answer and stuff like that, but, um, do you plan on writing more books and kind of what does that look like for you? Do you plan on pursuing, continuing being an author and putting out more? Yeah. So I've always loved writing, um, long before I was ever a therapist, I enjoyed writing. Um, I have worked as I own a writing company and have done a lot of like blog articles and white papers and and research for various mental health organizations. This was the first book. So this was a beast. Um, I think most authors probably relate to that. It's, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. I do intend to write more. Um, I've considered venturing into fiction, which is a whole different animal. Um, and so I'm, I'm just kind of staying open to the process to see what happens. I think, as we grow and obtain more experience, writing naturally evolves. And so this is a book that I can see, you know, in five or 10 years, me being like, hey, this really needs an update. I need to throw in some new ideas. Um, You know, as you practice as a clinician, you start thinking of things differently. And so I I definitely could see for future editions Mm -hmm. coming at some point, but I don't want to tether myself to a strict timeline. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, And so with your writing and with coming out with this book, has it affected your therapy practice much or has it like, have you been able to translate any of that? Or I'm not sure on the timelines there, because I know you're on maternity leave right now. Um, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, I, I just published the book about two, three months ago. Um, I have not been in practice in the past year. I've been at home raising my baby. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I do intend obviously to go back to, to my practice. I don't have a set t- date. Um, but now that there's a little more recognition as to who I am and the meme page, the meme page was anonymous for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. since you, you said you found it about a year ago, you obviously knew it as an anonymous. Yeah. And so, um, that wasn't an issue. I wasn't worried obviously about clients or even colleagues finding it. Now there's a little bit more of a barrier, you know, my stuff's a little more public. Um, but I, I always tell people like, it's nothing I wouldn't share in a therapy session. It's nothing I would feel is too vulnerable or too private. In fact, um, I think there can be a lot of healing from working with a therapist who, strives to be authentic in Mm -hmm. social media life and in their professional life and in their personal life. Um, So we're going to see how it affects my practice moving forward. Right now I'm enjoying uh, being home and working on my writing and staying involved in mental health advocacy. And yeah, I'm going to stay tuned to see what's next with, with how I go back into my practice and integrate this new role, I suppose, as a, as an author. Mm-hmm. And what, what made you start the Instagram page? It's so funny because I don't have like this really cool story. I think people want <laughs> don't have one. Um, like most people our age, you know, like a good, everyone likes a good meme. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember just making one and I had shared it on a business web page, a business Instagram that I had for my practice. And I made one more. I was like, you know what? This is getting a little like crass. It's getting a little maybe too sarcastic. I don't know if I want to associate it with my profession. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna start my own meme page and just see what happens. And I, I feel very lucky because it kind of just 
went from there. I told maybe a couple colleagues, hey, this is me, I'm doing this, you know, follow me. <laughs> but after <laughs> that, started kind of gaining traction. And um, what I learned is that a lot of therapists kind of think like I do, but beyond that, there were just a lot of clients who were really interested in learning about therapy practice and learning, hey, my therapist is a human too. And uh, they're probably just as nervous as I am sometimes. And they're really trying to do a good job. And so I would say most of the followers are probably mental health professionals, but there's definitely a good percentage of people who I think are just really interested in learning about mental health or learning about therapy as a profession. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the backstory. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's so handy because then you can, like you said, the clients get to see the other side of things. You get to be more thoughtful and be like, oh yeah, so that is kind of you know something that they have to think about and be conscious of and things like that. And even, um, I think it was a question last night or earlier this week that someone had asked, you know, that they were someone that had previous eating disorders and that was kind of their clientele. And you were saying that that's something that a lot of people are drawn to, like something that they also struggle with. And I thought that was really fascinating. And just like, now I'm like looking at my therapists and I'm like, I (laughs) want to know. Of course. And it's very normal for us as clients. And that's why I always tell therapists, like, please get your own therapy as much as possible because Mm -hmm. as a client, of course, we're so fascinated by our therapists and, you know, what problems do they have and what does their life look like outside of this session and who are they? And we have all these projections and transference that we, that we put onto them. And yes, definitely going back to that question, lots of therapists go into this field at times almost to heal themselves, but it it makes sense that we gravitate towards treating clients who have issues that are close to home um, or close to people that we love. And and you see that a lot, which can be extremely beneficial because you understand what a client's going through. But at the same time, for a therapist, it can be a little tricky, be a little problematic. You may over-relate to what a client's going through. You may jump to give advice that you wish someone had given you. Um, You may struggle to stay objective. So there's always there's always so much complexity to consider, um, with how you interact with your clients for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those people that's like a total advocate for therapy. I remember when I first started going, it was probably like, I'm going to say 10 years ago. Um, and I kind of kept it very under wraps and now I'll be like, Oh, so, so so-and-so said this. And my dad's like, who's that? I'm like my therapist, like, don't you pay attention? And things like that. And I think that's awesome um, that now it's becoming more normalized that you can talk about it more and kind of because I'm one of those people that's like everyone should go. Um, Even if you try it a couple of times and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me, at least you tried it. Um, I love that. I agree. I think our generation more than any previous generation is also more open to it. uh And I'm grateful for that shift. And um yeah, I do think therapy is great. Unfortunately, there's definitely still barriers that make sometimes mental health services inaccessible, but I think overall we're getting better and better and it's less stigmatizing than it was before. And yeah, like you, I'm pretty open about, I, I go to therapy. I've been, I've seen many therapists throughout my life. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, there was definitely times where I'm like, I'm not going to tell people like, what are they going to think of me? You know, but I've gotten to a point, it's a self-confidence thing. I think sometimes with saying, yes, I I reach out and I have support and um, I'm working on myself on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that like, you can't, 
ever reach a capacity where you're like, you know what? I've worked on myself enough. I think I'm good for the rest of my life. Like I don't, I don't need anything else. <laughs> I was like, that'd be boring. You know, it would. I'm like, what? boring. And then you'd want to sabotage it anyway. Cause you wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I was just thinking that I was like, I'd be like, now I need to create a problem. Cause I haven't worked <laughs> on anything in a while. Right. Right. And you know, therapy is one of those things, which is cool. Like you don't have to see, stay in it forever. It's totally reasonable to take breaks or, or stop for several years and then maybe return or, you know, another issue emerges, but it, it's nice to know you have that option, you know, mm-hmm. and that there are professionals who, who are really there to help guide and, and teach and just provide support, you know, support cannot be overstated. Support mm-hmm. is what helps us feel validated and, we need that as humans. We need that connection. Absolutely. I agree. And I think it's nice because then you get that like objective third party too. Um, because, you know, even I had like a over the phone therapy session earlier this week and she's like, you know, I'm imagining you're feeling this. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like I just needed someone else to say it because I didn't want to say it to someone and sound dramatic. Um, like like your mom saying it, you're like, what mm -hmm. mom? (laughs) Like, so that's where the the neutrality helps because yes. it's not a friend. Although, you know, it's great to have supportive friends and we should, it's not your neighbor. It's someone who is professionally trained in kind of understanding feelings and understanding patterns and, and, and you don't have to worry about them as much. Like mm-hmm. the relationship's about you and the growth is about you. And so that's very beneficial for people who may struggle with people pleasing or, you know, um, wanting to try to take care of others because therapy kind of forces you to, okay, no, I got this is for me. This is for my growth. Yeah. It forces you to kind of look in the mirror and be like, no, I have to look internally now. Um, and so I know you had mentioned, um, that a lot of it was therapists and that you recommend them seeing therapists. Um, and I did, uh, I'm trying to remember the episode number, but it's not coming to me, but I did an episode with a talk therapist as well. And she also said that, you know, like therapists have therapists, that's kind of how it goes. And, um, what do you think is like some people, when you say that they're like, Oh my God, really? Like, what do you think that mind blown component comes from? I think that a lot of people for better or worse, put therapists on pedestals and imagine that our lives are just incredibly put together. And there was a time I believe that before, you know, I, I entered the field because when you think about it, you're seeing this therapist maybe for an hour or so a week and they are so compassionate and supportive and they seem very intelligent a lot of the times and they, they always have the right thing to say. And they seem to get you in a way that other people don't. And so it's like, this person's perfect, you know, mm-hmm. they must be, therefore they must be a perfect friend or parent or partner. And it's very easy to jump to those projections. Um, and, and in some ways that's not the worst projection to have, you know, you don't want to think your therapist is a hot mess because you're probably not going to respect them as much. Right. Right. But um, yeah, so I think that's why people kind of have that shocked reaction that a lot of therapists seek their own therapy because um, we still, unfortunately do have a stigma and we think, oh, if they're still seeing a therapist, do they have problems? Do they mm-hmm. qualify to really help me? And to that, I always say, I mean, I don't think dentists do their own dental work, you know, doctors or surgeons don't do their own surgery. A lot of, you know, my, my hairstylist has 
someone do her hair. Um, the best professionals know how to connect with other professionals. Yes, absolutely. And I love that, you know, it's recognizing that, you know, it doesn't make you flawed or it doesn't make anything wrong with you. It's just that it goes back to that component of wanting to work on yourself. And, you know, sometimes you do have to work through issues, but it's kind of unrealistic to expect that someone doesn't have some sort of issue going on in their life. That yeah. <laughs> and sometimes therapists also just benefit from knowing what it's like to be a client um, and to, and to know what it's like to be on the other side of the couch, as we say, because I think as at times therapists can forget um, the role that they have in a client's life. They may think, oh, my client doesn't really even care about me when really the client's like, so dependent on them for support. And so it's, I think it's just important to have that perspective of what it's like to feel nervous talking to a therapist or having to do that intake or having, you know, a transference reaction. Or I, I think that self-awareness for therapists, that's absolutely a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. And it's like in uh, retail, like you can tell who used to work retail and who didn't based on how they are as a customer. Have you <laughs> and, worked in retail? Oh, I did my time. I did my time. And it still blows my mind when, you know, you have the, can I speak to the manager type? Cause it's like, just let's take a breath. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It retail sucks. Like everybody let's, let's just try and be nice here. Let's just all get mm -hmm. along for a second. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. You, you kind of have to know what it's like to have the compassion for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I know that one of the things you said at the beginning of that answer was that, you know, people think that your therapists are perfect and they must have this perfect life. And I know that your husband is also a therapist. Um, I'm assuming people probably figure the same thing about your family and dynamic and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it must be a perfect couple, must be perfect parents, all of that. How do you kind of work through that? Because I imagine that could at times be like, oh yeah, I should be doing this differently because of that's my profession. And you're like, but I'm also human. Right. Yeah, no, we definitely have gotten many, many comments um, about what it must be like to be married to a therapist now that we have a, a, a baby. Oh, you know, your baby's so lucky. And I'm always like, oh, poor little guy. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want therapists for parents. No, but at the end of the day, um, I do believe we have some advantages. We both value, you know, emotional intelligence and we both, I mean, I would, we, we argue, but I would say we argue pretty fair. You know, we, we aim to be mature and, and use some of our skills when we can, but I mean, we're human. So mm -hmm. chasm comes out at times I withdraw, at times I can be passive aggressive, you know, and as a parent, I'm far from perfect. You know, there's times I get very distracted. There's times I get frazzled. There's times I, I just want to scream. And I, I no longer judge myself so much for that. I think at the beginning of my career, I felt like something was very deeply wrong with me. And it was in some ways through Instagram and through being in my own therapy and having colleagues realizing like everybody, every therapist has, like you said, their own stuff. Like we're not perfect. Um, cause no human's perfect. And thankfully we're not. Cause again, the marriage would be really boring if we were just, yeah. Like, what would we talk about? I don't know. Right. <laughs> what would make it steamy and keep it exciting? Right. How would we grow? How would mm -hmm. we have fun? And a lot of times connection, you need a little bit of 
adversity to, to build deeper connection. You need to navigate conflict and tension. Um, that's not to say I enjoy those parts, but I, I've kind of shifted into realizing they're necessary and they don't need to be this terrible thing. They don't reflect on me as a person um, and my inherent worth, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that you guys have to be conscious of when say you are, you know, going to one another for advice or in an argument or something? Do you have to be like, this is my therapist hat, take it off. This is my relationship hat. Like kind of that, you know, when you text your friend and they want to rant about something and you're saying, okay, do you want advice or do you want me to listen? Like, is that kind of something that you need to approach more consciously? Um, I'm trying to think. It's not so challenging with my husband. We've been together for quite some time. I think we both kind of know how to go into our relationship. In fact, if anything, I'm more, I'm less patient with him than I am with clients. There's that running joke that therapists are far more patient with their clients than they are at home because you use it all up at at (laughs) (laughs) With friends, though, definitely I find myself at times wanting to go into that therapist role um, instead of just being like a girlfriend and being yes. like, girl, you deserve better. Like, <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about your mother and your childhood trauma. <laughs> oh, wait, that, that's not going. And so, yeah, it definitely, I sometimes have to remind myself that they're, you know, they're my friend and I'm not their therapist. And, um, it, it would be entirely inappropriate to act in that way because friendship is more of a mutual relationship. They know stuff about me. I know stuff about them. Whereas as a therapist, your priority is your client's well-being, mm-hmm. and you're, you're not making it about yourself. It's not about you getting um, much from the, the interaction. It's about what you're providing for them and, and you're trying to tailor that time for their growth. So with time, it's definitely gone easier. But I think when I was first learning how to, how to be a therapist, if you will, my friends probably got a lot of practice. <laughs> so they got some free therapy in yeah. it thrown in. I mean, naturally, that would, I mean, my friends get random tidbits on like social media advice and marketing yeah. stuff. And like, I work in resident services as well. And I'm like, just so you know, like if you do this, just be conscious of that. And I'm like, I, it just comes with, you know. I think it's normal in any profession. Once you gain some expertise in a particular area, it's natural for you to like bleed that out a little bit in your life. You know, it's just being aware of it is probably the most important part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Especially if it's something that you're passionate about, because like, if someone's like, Oh, how's work going? I'm like, sit down. (laughs) Do you have have three hours? Cause let me tell you, but, uh, no, it's, and that's why it's so important for therapists to have a good support system who Mm -hmm. are people who are not just therapists. You know, I actually write about that in my book. Like you need friends who are just friends. You need, you know, family who doesn't really care about your work you need people that you can talk to about normal stuff because talking about therapy stuff all day can get heavy even if you Mm -hmm. like heavy stuff and I love good heavy stuff um it it can definitely bog you down I imagine that yeah is this always something that you wanted to do did you always want to pursue therapy and writing and things like that or did you kind of come into it as you gained more experience um, I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl. That That is a lifelong thing. I, I used to get in trouble in school for 
instead of doing the, the homework or the classwork, I'd be writing little stories and poems. So I have early memories of that. Therapy was something that kind of came to me more at the end of high school, college. Um, I was very interested in psychology. At the time, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. And, and then I kind of realized, no, what I actually wanted to do was therapy. And so it's interesting because the two of them are sort of similar in writing. You're kind of capturing human emotion and in therapy, you're also kind of capturing human emotion. And so I've found that they kind of complement one another. Um, I, I was, I intended to pursue writing in college. My parents sat me down and said, Hey, we're, we're going to help you with a little bit of college, but you have to get a practical degree. <laughs> writing was out because they were concerned. I wouldn't be able to make a living and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't fault them for that. So psychology seemed like a reasonable uh, option and that's where I went. And um, yeah, I have no regrets about my path. I've learned a lot along the way. Um, I, I definitely feel like I've made the right choice for myself, but who knows where the future will take us, you know? I, mm -hmm. I try not to be married to these like long-term career plans because we live in a society now where things are super fluid and flexible. And I think that's cool. I really do. Me too. I think that's my favorite part of, you know, growing up and kind of realizing this. Um, yeah. I've changed career fields so many times. And my dad's always like, he's one of those people that he started in a field when he was like 18 and he's still in it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I respect it. I'm like, if that's what you like to do, go for it. But I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm really passionate about this right now. Oh, like, and then people are like, what's your dream job? And I'm like, kind of whatever I'm passionate about at the moment. Like right now, I would say that one of the jobs that I have right now is my dream job. And the other is like a potential could work my way into it. And so, but if you ask me in a year, I guarantee you that one of those answers will probably be different. I totally feel you on that. And I have parents who, again, like your dad, same job, their whole adult life. Yeah. And to them, they're like, what do you mean you're starting? This <laughs> what do you mean you have this? What is a side hustle? You know, <laughs> yes. You know, and in some ways it's, it's a, it's from, for people who enjoy, I would say entrepreneurship and creative thinking, it benefits you. It can definitely be hard when you're just trying to find a stable job because mm -hmm. I would say workplace loyalty is essentially dead for our generation. It like, is. Right. So yeah. in our, when our parents uh, got careers, like they took care of you, that's just no longer much of the case. And I, we can call it cynical, but it is what it is. And so, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's so fluid now. And who know in a year from now, if you were to if we were to talk again, I don't know where I'd be. And it sounds mm -hmm. like and I think that's exciting. I do. I do. I like it. And then it's like, oh, I have something to look forward to because yeah. now I'm constantly learning and challenging myself and being like, what can this become? And I think technology definitely helps. Like nowadays, you know, just having the internet makes you can just build a job out of that, essentially, build a business with just, you know, having a Wi-Fi connection. And so, yeah, there's something really cool about that. And therapy, you know, has evolved as well. This pandemic, we now have a bunch of therapists who are building like online telehealth services, you know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility that's coming from the mental health career. And it seems like that's a trend that's happening just in the workplace overall. So it's going to be interesting to see where the next decade takes everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait to find out because it's just so fascinating. Um, what about your story do you think is important for other people to hear? 
ah, such a like life question. Right. Um, Like, how do you capture that in just a little bit of a paragraph? Um, I don't, uh, I don't know what the exact life story that I have is, but I, I definitely believe in advocacy of mental health. And that's something I strive to do in everything I practice, whether it's just my daily interactions with people, my work as a therapist, my writing, um, whatever project I'm working on at the moment. I, if, if there's going to be anything that's my purpose, it's trying to make the world a little less, uh, stigmatizing towards mental health. And, um, it's a, global problem, but the more we have conversations about it and the more we're willing to go into those uncomfortable spaces, the more we collectively grow. And that's something I just want to continue striving to do as a person. And I hope that other people are on board with it as well. The more we can keep talking about mental health and therapy and just taking care of ourselves, I think the better we will all be societally and personally. Absolutely. And just kind of normalizing those conversations, having them when needed and being willing to, you know, be that support for other people um, that are in that, you know, just even being like, oh, that's awesome. You're going to therapy instead of being like, oh, like why? Yeah. It's so crazy how just changing a few words can build such a connection or put up such a wall. So we mm-hmm. really need to be conscious of the way we talk to people and the way we try to understand people because connection, I believe is everything in this life, you know, and we need it to survive. But beyond that, we need it to, to feel love. And that's, I don't know, that's the point of all of this, right? It is so all doing this earth thing. So yeah, I like that you said that that's, it's kind of like that connection. And it's those, the words that you choose, because it can be the slightest thing. It can even be tone. Even and so, you're right. Yeah. And I read John Gottman's book. Um, I believe it was the relationship cure that this one was in, but he kind of talked about, you know, his concept of like bids and bids for attention. And are you turning away towards against what? So now I'm always like conscious. I'm like, did I acknowledge what they said properly? Like, was I turning towards them? John Gottman's such a great resource. I've actually seen him speak a few times. I'm slightly angry at him because he didn't sign a book. Even Ah. I was was the next person in line and I've never gone to a book signing and then he's like I'm going to lunch and I was like oh no. <laughs> so, like I remember you John Gottman from 2015 but <laughs> no his work's fabulous mm-hmm. and um it's so applicable like not just for therapists for anyone who has a relationship with anybody it really makes you think about how do you interact with people and yes tone is everything and are we consciously making bids to connect with people um because if we're not a lot of times we come across as kind of defensive or withdrawn or just unapproachable. And then we don't feel as connected in our relationships and mm-hmm. other people don't feel as connected to us. And that can lead to some tension and some resentment. And then we're like, what do I do about it? And, and these things are actually pretty easily preventable once you kind of learn those skills. Mm-hmm. And even like, I find it applicable. I currently live with like my three nephews and, you know, like little kids, sometimes you're just like, oh my gosh, like enough. But then you're like, turn towards them and give them your attention for a minute. 
and that's all they want. That's, and it makes such a big difference. And even working, um, I work with a lot of elders right now and it's the same thing because a large component of those people have like dementia and stuff like that. And sometimes they'll just yell at the wall and, you know, you never know who they're really talking to sometimes, but you're like, if you just turn towards them for a minute, then it makes such a big difference in them feeling understood and heard. And then it changes the dynamic almost instantly. We all just want to feel understood in this life, you know? Um, and that's why I think a lot of people go to therapy because they don't feel understood by mm. people. Um, and that's, that's the best part to me about being a therapist is, is helping my clients feel understood. But yeah, it, it definitely extends beyond therapy. It's in the interactions, like you said, with your nephews, with your, your elderly clients, it's with your neighbor, the, the, mm-hmm. at the grocery store, if we can practice that in our daily interactions, we tend to feel more fulfilled and happier. And um, yeah, connection can be small. And I think we need to remember that instead of focusing on these massive connections, like with finding the love of our lives or mm-hmm. building these bridges back with our parents or, you know, these massive things of communication, we can focus on just smaller interactions mm-hmm. as our blocks. So yeah, I'm very passionate about the importance of connection with people. Me too. Now everyone hears about it all the time because I'm like, I read this book, um, <laughs> but it's so good. Um, I want to be conscious of your time here. Um, where can listeners best find or support you? The best place, well, my w- most well-known places through Instagram at the moment. So my my handles at psychotherapy memes. Uh, we have the same handle on Twitter, Facebook. Um, they, we have a Patreon it, it's geared towards mental health professionals. So if you're a mental health professional looking for some tips or growth, uh, we, we produce live streams and blog content on there. My book, sometimes therapy is awkward is available on my website, psychotherapymemes.com. Also have some recommendations on there, just mostly again, geared towards mental health professionals. Um, yeah. And if questions, emails, hate mail, whatever. You can reach out to me, Nicole at psychotherapy, psychotherapymemes.com. Perfect. I'll include those in links below. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us. I really appreciate it. And I'm such a big fan of your page, right? I know. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) 